Hey everyone, welcome back to Sprint Race. My name is Emma Ridgway, and today we are talking about round seven and eight of the Formula E World Championship, which was in Berlin. We had a double header this weekend in a season that has just been getting better and better. And in Berlin, it was no exception. There is a lot to talk about, probably too much for one episode. So let's get started. Now, Berlin has been a part of Formula E from season one. So it's a very familiar place to come. Tempelhof Airport has become quite an iconic venue, I think, in the Formula E season. But for a lot of drivers, it's not their favorite. A lot of teams in the past have really struggled in Berlin. Um, their car just does not suit the type of track. The track itself is unique because it's an airfield, well, an airport, or it used to be. The concrete was designed for planes to land on, not for cars to drive around. There are far fewer bumps as a result, but then you have this constant vibration throughout the entire race. I think it was Oliver Askew, the former Formula E driver who was doing some of the TV coverage. And in all honesty, I felt like after the race weekend was over, everyone was just exhausted. But I was listening to some of the radios uh, during Sunday's race and some of the drivers were getting particularly frustrated at teammates, at sister teams and their engineers as well. So in Sao Paulo, one team in particular managed to claw their way back up to the top of the field and that was Jaguar. I've spent a lot of time this year talking about Jaguar on this podcast because I think it's been quite clear from the beginning of the season that they've been underperforming. And then everything seemed to fall into place in Sao Paulo. They know that they have to catch Porsche, Avalanche Andretti, even their own customers, Envision. Well, look no further than Saturday's race, which had an astonishing 190 overtakes. In fact, at times, the race itself was a little bit overwhelming. If you were lucky enough to ever see any kind of motor race, in person. I think there's this feeling of, I think I know what's going on, but I'm going to have to rely on all these different pieces of information, um, the commentary, try and see if there's a screen, plus I'm watching the, the track as well, and I don't want to go to a race and just watch a screen, right? So I feel like when you go and watch a race in person, you, you miss something. You tend to miss an overtake, an event here and there, but you accept it right? It's part of the, the deal. But watching the race on Saturday on my TV, I had that same feeling of, I do not know what's going on right now. Because every time I looked away from the action to see the running order, it had changed. And it wasn't just one or two drivers. It was a driver going from first to fifth, back up to third, back down to seventh, and so I, I, I missed a lot. I missed a huge amount of the race, even though I was watching it. So 190 overtakes is staggering. It's incredible. But as a fan, I could not keep up with that. And as a side note, I think that Jack Nichols did an incredible job of trying to keep the audience up to date with what was happening. And then obviously had to do it all again the next day. It was exciting, especially because there was such a variety of 
top drivers actually fighting for the lead of the race, but in a very similar way to the end, maybe the last five laps of Sao Paulo, a lot of people were ah, hesitating to, to lead the race. I talked about Jaguar and continuing their momentum. They actually ended up doing a very similar thing to what they did in Sao Paulo, which is they chose the perfect time to take the lead. I think that Mitch Evans did a superb job in those closing laps to choose the right time to overtake. In the end, it was a Jaguar 1-2, and the first time they've ever done that as a team in Formula E. I talked about Max Gunter. He had an amazing weekend. I spoke to him in Sao Paulo, and I asked him, risky maneuvers or points for the team? He was on course to get a good haul of points on Saturday, but I think his racing instinct just took over, and so he ended up being in the fight for that final podium position which he got, it was definitely a risk. So, you know, don't believe what drivers tell you with their press officer next to them. They will always go for that risky move if it involves a win or a podium. But after a pretty disappointing start for Maserati, uh, a podium and at his home race as well was truly well-deserved for Max Gunter. On the Sunday, Gunter went from 21st to 6th Another amazing performance, which again brought a big haul of points. Now on Sunday, there was one team in particular who I don't think quite expected the weekend to go the way that it did. And that was the apt Cooper team, who have been pretty much sitting on zero points from the start of the season. If you remember, their driver, Robin Frines, broke his hand in the first race. Nico Muller hasn't been able to score any points either. They joined the season really, really late. They have a Mahindra car, essentially, and unfortunately, it's not been very good for them. Waking up to a very, very rainy Berlin on Sunday morning, they finished qualifying in P1 and P2. I couldn't believe it, and I don't think they could either. They automatically got points because the pole sitter who was Robin Frines, got three points. So, you know, even if they ended up moving down the order during the race, they were leaving with points. And that's a lovely guarantee. Now, as it happened, unfortunately, for the Apt Cooper team, by the time it got to the race itself, it was completely dry. The sun had come out and, well, unfortunately, they did go back down the order. So they didn't actually score any points during the race. But I think it shows that, you know, if there's a bit of rain, then they have a good car for that. Sunday's race finished with Nick Cassidy as the winner, followed by Jake Dennis and Jean-Eric Verne. When I saw the three of them on the podium, it looked like a sweet little traffic light with the red, green and amber. But that's just my brain for you right there. And you may have noticed I haven't once said the word Pascal Verline. Well, Pascal Verline, despite not being on the podium for either of the days, is still leading the championship. I think that just shows the start of the season that Pascal Verline has had. He has been a little bit inconsistent, probably since Hyderabad. If you recall, that's when he had that crash. He made that mistake. He has been in the top 10 since then, and he's had a good haul of points as well. That's what's keeping him in the lead. But he hasn't been close to the very top since, I would say, Jaguar have got their 
themselves together. It's a testament to Portia that they are still getting results, still leading the championship, but going into Monaco now, they need to have a serious look behind them because I don't think they expected to see Nick Cassidy there. Cassidy won on Sunday and, in my opinion, has been one of the most consistent drivers this year. He's reminding me of Stoffel van Dorn last year. He finds himself just four points behind Pascal Verlein. And I think now one of the most serious contenders for the title. But, and this is a but, I find when people like myself start talking about these things, we start hyping someone up. That becomes a translation into interviews on track. It can definitely have a detrimental effect. I don't think Nick Cassidy has kind of looked at himself as being a title contender. He just happens to have found himself there. I think that's why he's been able to to get through these races and get some really good results. Earlier in the episode, I mentioned that tensions were quite high this weekend. Well, there certainly was some tension between the Envision drivers of Nick Cassidy and Sebastian Buemi. Now, off camera, maybe watching it from, you know, afar, not really knowing them both personally, it feels like they have a good relationship. And Obviously, it helps when you have a good car. When you're winning races, when you're getting podiums, you're happy with your team, you're happy with your car, you're happy with your teammate. But I wonder now if, now that we're getting closer to the top, now that it's clear that the Envision is one of the best cars, if there is some underlying animosity that's going on just due to the competitive nature of this championship. I don't think that Buemi and Cassidy dislike each other at all. I think they're both just competitors. But Sylvain Felipe had to come out and vehemently deny that there was any issues going on between them. And I think he is, on the whole, correct. Uh, I think there is some frustrations. They will have to deal with it internally. Is it more than that? I'm not so sure. But Envision also have to be aware of the fact that they are working quite closely with Jaguar. And they are a Jaguar customer. They have a Jaguar powertrain to the point where The data is shared between these two teams, particularly when it comes to the energy. But they keep finding themselves fighting for the same positions. And whilst listening to some of the radios on Sunday, it's clear that they are also working together strategically as well. At one point, Evans got on the radio to his engineer saying like, what is Buemi doing? This was after I think he came out of an attack mode and was hoping to maybe be let back into a position, I imagine that might have been the agreement, ended up fighting Buemi and losing a place to him. I think there was also contact at some point as well. And bear in mind, they were fighting, I think, for like fourth, fifth and sixth at this time. He then got back on the radio and said, I am not working with the Envisions anymore today. So going into Monaco, I will be back on the ground. Monaco was the very first Formula E race that I attended as a journalist, and I mean, it was amazing. I think the drivers, because it's like their home, like a lot of them just kind of stumble out of their apartments and into the paddock. I felt like the mood last year was incredibly relaxed, very, very positive. I'm hoping that the sun will be shining and that the weather will be back out because that certainly helps. And after the intensity of Berlin, I feel like Monaco is a safe favorite. Plus, it's an amazingly historical track. A lot of people will want to win. Overtaking is 
generally impossible in Monaco during the Formula One race, but with 190 overtakes in Berlin, I very much doubt we will get even close to that number in Monaco. But if we get a quarter of that, it's still going to be an amazing Monaco E-Prix. So of course, after that episode, I will have interviews, which again means you don't have to listen to me for 15 to 20 minutes. You'll have insights from the drivers as well. So until next time, as always, thank you very much for tuning in.